electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan, in for Scott today. And maybe the question of the day for your money, maybe the only question right now, is how long this juggernaut of a stock market can power on. Today, a pause. Technology, mostly higher. The Dow is lower. That may be because of that big change coming. Of course, we'll get more to that. All of this comes as one of our traders makes a bold move on Apple and another red-hot, high-flying tech name. Your investment committee today is Stephanie Link, Josh Brown, Pete Nigerian, and Michael Farr, president of Farr Miller in Washington, and a CNBC contributor. A great group. And here's how things look as we kick it off. New highs earlier on the S&P 500, but markets, they have cooled off just a bit. You've got the Dow down 182. Apple is actually one of the stocks weighing on the Dow, lower by about seven bucks. The S&P down very, very fractionally. We had mentioned that one of our traders today has made a big move in big tech. Josh Brown, you just did something that I thought was illegal. You sold 20% of your (laughs) positions in Apple and NVIDIA. Are you sure it was hard to find a buyer? <laughs> Love you, Sully. I really don't know why we're saying it's a big move or a bold move. Um, I do the pre-interview with the producers, and uh, I, I guess they, they hear the part they like, but it's, it's the opposite of a bold move. I'm playing chicken. I'm basically saying NVIDIA and Apple have become too big a part of my portfolio. Um, I have tons of Apple exposure elsewhere. I own the Qs. I own a wealth management firm. Everybody owns Apple. Um, So my lifetime exposure to Apple is very high. So all I'm doing, all I'm doing is keeping 80% of my position instead of 100%. It's not that bold. And I'm doing the same with NVIDIA. These stocks have ballooned. So this is like risk management is the best way to to phrase that. I don't want to be out of these stocks. I think they're phenomenal companies. I just don't want to live my entire life based on how they do each day. Um, so I think this is what all prudent investors do, and, and it's what I'm doing. Well, so it's, it's not a bold move. I wouldn't call it a chicken move either then, Josh. It sounds like more of a responsible move. Well, I mean, I, I'm doing this 20 years. So, um, you know, there, there's that great Warren Buffett quote about what it feels like when uh, you're, you're toward the end of, of the party, so to speak. Uh, and everyone's drinking champagne, and it's the hardest thing on earth to walk out of the room. Um, and then you look up at the clock, and the clocks have no hands. And I think that metaphor is really <laughs> apt. We have no idea if Apple, if, if Apple puts on another 20% before this, this run is over. How could we know? <clears throat> All I know is it's, it's metastasized in the scheme of the entirety of my individual stock holdings, and I don't want it to be that way. So I'm adding other things. I added to Starbucks which I know we're going to talk about later in the show, recently bought Simon Properties. I have some new positions on, and I just want to be prudent with the, the big winners 
of the last mm -hmm. few years because it obviously won't go on forever. Yeah, so Stephanie, it might be a good lesson there, whether it's Apple, whatever asset class it might be, perhaps Josh brings up a good point, as he usually does, which is just you got to know what you own. Be careful that one position doesn't become sort of the monster. By the way, I do worry about Apple and the FANG stocks being that for the macro market overall, but that's probably a different segment. You still own Apple. You call it expensive, but you're not going to trim. <laughs> well, I, I think what Josh is doing makes 100% sense. And I did that with Facebook. I sold out of Facebook completely, and I have been trimming Amazon because they really did become very big positions, overweights um, in my portfolio. The, the reason I'm going to stick with Apple is I really do think you have these catalysts of the four-for-one split, the 5G, and I think you have to step back and, and ask yourself, is this just a hardware company or is it a consumer products company? And if it is a consumer products company, which I believe it is, it's trading at a 10% discount to the consumer products companies in general. So it's you can justify a lot of different ways. You can do some of the parts. All I know is this company can actually deliver 12% earnings growth in the last year, 24% free cash flow growth in the last year, all while the iPhone sales were down 1%. Can you even imagine when 5G comes out what the operating leverage really will be? So I also think it's interesting there's only 61 analyst buys on the sell side on this one. So kind of kind of surprised me. That's versus Amazon where you have 94% of the sell side having buys. So a lot of people on the same side. I'm not saying this is not crowded. It is crowded, but I can still justify owning it. And I have, you know, a slight overweight position uh, relative to my benchmark. NVIDIA, I, this one scares me because I can't justify the valuation. However, um, I think it's stay at home because they have they have benefited from the gaming exposure, right? And AI and data center. On the on the flip side, they're actually a reopen name, and that is because they have auto exposure. So I kind of want to play the auto side of things, and I don't think it's really well discovered or well talked mm -hmm. about that in terms of this part of the the business. Plus, you've got a fabulous management team. So. I, this one makes me a little nervous, but I'm just going to hold on at least because I like the trends of where I see. I, I love I it. You know, it. I can't justify the valuation. You could, you could say that for like, you know, I normally don't eat cake for breakfast, but just today I'm going to make an exception. <laughs> I mean, you, it sounds like everybody is saying that. Jump in here, Josh. Well, I would just simply say on NVIDIA. Well, I can't justify the valuation, I do like a lot of their end markets and their total addressable markets. And I don't want to have, uh, I have 50 names in my portfolio. This is just one. I don't have many of these names where they're really, they've skyrocketed and they're very, very expensive. I have managed yeah. that, the, the position sizes accordingly. So I just want to make sure you're, you know, that, that the audience is clear. Yeah, yeah. J Josh there, before we get to Pete, go ahead, jump back in, Josh. I just, I just want to point out, like, Apple is absurd. It's the greatest company on earth and maybe the greatest publicly traded company in history. Okay, stipulated. Nobody would disagree at this point. But just think about the last 56 days, according to research from my colleague Michael Batnick, my firm's director of research, uh, over the last 56 days, Apple has added $760 billion in market cap. That was Apple, the company's total market cap, like 18 months ago. So, so basically, like in January of 2019, Nobody was screaming that Apple's so cheap. It was trading at $760 billion market cap. Now we have a $2 trillion yeah. company that's effectively added that market cap. And I, I would take it a step further. Um, the number one and two companies in the world typically have been much closer together than they are right now. Apple and Microsoft, as recently as June, does anyone remember June? 
wasn't that long ago, they were both like 1.2 trillion uh, or 1.4 trillion vying for largest company in the world. Apple is now 30 percent above the number two company, which is not Microsoft, it's Amazon. Um, And historically, when the number one player got 30 percent above the number two player in terms of market cap, there's been a reversion. So not that that colors my decision or makes me bearish on Apple. The recent gains are just out of this galaxy. It makes no sense. And I think 10% of it is from a split announcement. So I I don't want to be fully exposed. Yeah, it makes, listen, it makes historically good sense here. Uh, You know, Pete, listen, to go for all those things, we pointed out this morning on WEX, Apple this month has basically gained the market cap that the company existed at when Tim Cook became CEO. And that's in 16 trading days. But You know, if you own just a few stocks, you could trim 20% of your position like Josh did and still have it as a bigger dollar-weighted average in your portfolio simply because those price gains. Do you look like you want to maybe sell Apple? I know you've owned it for about 15 years. Yeah. (laughs) My answer is easy. It's absolutely not. But I totally respect what, what he's doing here. And I think the phrase wouldn't be that he's scared or any of those things, chicken and all the craziness. I actually think it's just discipline. And I think Josh is displaying great discipline here to take that 20% off of this name as well as NVIDIA. And I think that makes a lot of sense. The the reason that I say I'm still holding on and I have no intention of selling happens to be because what I've said for a long time and part of the transition of what you guys are talking about for Apple. The reality is, yes, this was a hardware company. Now that's dropped all the way down from being an incredible percentage of what they were down to about a 50% of what they are. And because of that, if you look at services and wearables and the growth that you've got there, and you look at what they get brought in for revenue between the two of them, you combine them, it's very close to the hardware side of revenue. So they are fast approaching that level. And because of that, I love that kind of growth. And oh, by the way, do you want to get twice as much margin? The answer is yes. And so you look over at wearables and you look over at the services area. So that's the reason why I continue to hold on and I continue to look at this name as a name that still has plenty of upside. And I think to Steph's point, she said, consumer products, absolutely. You could call it that. You could call it a lot of different things, but the reality is, even though this, the, you look at the PE level in relative to where Apple was, that was comparing Apple as the hardware company, as just the phone company and, and computer company. And now, because of the fact that it's so much more than that, I don't think that I look at that, that PE presently as anything inflated at all. And, and, and as Steph pointed out, it's actually cheap relative yeah, okay. to peers if you're going to put it in the consumer products area. Relative to peers. So I think that's the key question. I mean, and Mike, and listen, again, yeah. to Josh's point, fantastic company. But you look at the P.E. ratio, you look at any valuation, enterprise value to cash flow, whatever you need growth. When you look around the world, let's not forget this fact. The iPhone in China is one fifth the average annual income of the average Chinese worker. The iPhone in India, by the way, is the same. It's a year's salary to buy one iPhone. So you look around the world, you do wonder where the bulk of that growth, services or hardware, is going to come from vis-a-vis that valuation. So, you know, I I think Josh is making a really... Hello? Go ahead. Mike, can you hear me, yes or no? Uh, uh, Yeah, 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 I can hear you. Uh, so I, I think Perfect. Josh is making a very, I, I think it is a bold move that Josh is making. And, and here's the reason. 
these uh, FANG stocks and Apple that have been on such a tremendous tear have been driving performance for money managers like Josh, like me, like Stephanie, uh, and, and like Pete, who have to be benchmarked against an index. This is a move against the leadership of the index saying, I've got to take some off the table. I'm going to follow my discipline. I'm going to do what fits my discipline, which I believe is going to be in the long-term best interest for my clients, but it might hurt my short-term relative performance. If Apple continues on this tear, if NVIDIA continues on this tear, whichever of these stocks continues to rock, if prudence makes you come out of them, it could mean that you're going to underperform some as you take risk off. It's exactly what you're supposed to do as an investor, so I applaud you guys. Uh, and, and it's the way you reduce risk and manage risk in a portfolio. Uh, you, you have to say, I'm going to redeploy. I'm going to take some off the winners. The rule is that you sell high and you redeploy that money low. Mm -hmm. So it makes all the sense in the world, but it's so hard to do as an investor. So I, I, this is what you're paying your manager to do. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I applaud it. And yet my position in Apple is not yet big enough that I'm trimming it, but I, I'm looking at it. Hey, Mike, I, I appreciate, right, I appreciate that take. Uh, I, I just I want to add one thing that I think is really important. Look at the degree to which the Federal Reserve has distorted not just market prices, but investor behavior, where we're to the point where a bold move is selling a stock that's just added a trillion dollars in yeah. market cap in a year and now trades at 38 yeah. times earnings. Look at the degree to which we have just completely altered the mindset of the public. That's the bold move. This stock's 40 times earnings, and the bold move is taking it off the table because it might make you want to kill yourself if it adds another trillion in market cap. This is, I mean, you, yes. you look at the 10-year yield is down 60% from where it yeah. was a year ago today. Uh, and just the distortion inherent when you take the risk-free rate and make it zero. Um, and it's not just distortion in prices. It's mentality. We've all lost our minds. All right. Well, not, not, not all of us, but we're getting there, Josh. Talk to us at the end of the not year. You, You'll be there. All right, let's broaden this out. Collect collectively. No, I'm close. I'm close. Let's broaden this out. All right. What is next for the macro tech trade? Really, this has been the Lou Gehrig of investments. It's now up about 30% this year, the best performing sector by far. What I'd like to do is kind of go around the horn, guys, and talk about maybe an idea that is not NVIDIA or is not Apple. And if you say Amazon, we might have to hit the buzzer and you'll drop into a tank. So, Pete, I'm going to start with you. Your, your take on tech generally and maybe something exciting that you have come across lately. And are you kicking out Facebook, too? Or what, what are all the rules? I really don't even know them right now, Brian. <laughs> so. I just made them up. If you want to talk about Facebook, they got an upgrade today. Barron says they should be in the Dow. Yep. I know you love Facebook. You love, you've, got a, you've got a man crush on Mark Zuckerberg, which is fine, which is weird, but it's fine. So you can do Facebook. <laughs> All right, I'll give you Facebook then. Well, when I look at Facebook and I look at the cash flow that they've got, when I look at the cash that they've got in hand and $58 billion worth, and then you look at the PE where it's trading right now versus the growth that you see in this name, it all adds up. And I'll tell you what, the reason I have this man crush right now on Mark Zuckerberg 
is this guy has done absolutely everything right in terms of what a, an aggressive CEO will do. He went out and he's had 82 acquisitions since this company went public. It's been extraordinary how well he's been able to fill in all the holes that he's looking for. And oh, by the way, if somebody doesn't sell to him, he just builds something bigger and puts it right in their face and beats them at that game as well, like Instagram with Snap. So there are so many different ways that I think they are winning right now. They continue to grow. And I tell you what, when you look at the foundation, when you look at the balance sheet and you look at this company, it actually, in my opinion, still trades cheap. It's why I own it. And I think it's of the names in, in if you want to put that in the tech world, I just think it's an extraordinary performer. And I think there's plenty of verticals still. Marketplace, there are so many different other areas that they have gone into. Now they're talking about shop as well to go aggressively go after all the rest of the competition in the e-commerce space. I think they've done a brilliant job of being extremely aggressive against all their competition. Yeah, I mean, I think Zuckerberg brings a bazooka maybe to a fist fight. By the way, we got the cover of Pink Floyd's Umma going on behind you. I had like eight Pete Nigerians. Stephanie Link, an exciting idea in technology for you. Well, a new position for me is AMD, and that's after Intel reported and basically very much disappointed on the 7 nanometer processor. Um, so they just gave AMD a three-year lead, and I think that they're going to run with it. Um, in fact, they're working on a AMD is working on a 5 nanometer right now, and Intel's not even going to get the 7 out. So I really do believe that they have the advantage. They have the end markets. Um, the gaming business is on fire. The management team is terrific. It is not cheap. Again, not, another one that's not cheap, but I like that they have an such a, a strong lead and an advantage over their main competitor. And I think they're just going to continue to take market share. Okay, Michael Farr, what about you? Anything interesting in technology that's come across your desk lately? Yeah, I'm going to go for one. Uh, Facebook would have been my first one, and I still love it, and I agree with everything Pete said, but plus some, actually. But Cognizant. Cognizant is a company in the tech consulting space. It's, what, 17 times next year's estimates. It's tw 11 or 12 percent earnings growth. It's got a dividend. It's not one on a lot of people's radar screens. It's very well run, and I think it's going to continue to do well. So there's a diversifier for you, Cognizant. Josh? Um, very quietly, at least as far as U.S. investors are concerned, the largest global unicorn, it's going to be the biggest IPO of the year, Ant Financial, filed a 674-page prospectus after the Hong Kong market close. They're going to go public in Hong Kong and Shanghai. They are bypassing U.S. markets. However, Alibaba retains a 33% ownership in Ant Financial. It is the biggest fintech on earth. It has a billion customers. There is no U.S. company um, that's got a billion local customers doing anything like what they're doing um, in, in payments. Um, and 75% of Chinese people do not have a credit card. Why? Because the phone is the credit card and financial is the app. This thing is going to be an absolute beast. So the way I would play it, because you can't get in on the IPO if you're a U.S. Uh, citizen, um, I would own KWeb. KWeb's got fast inclusion. It is the ETF for Chinese tech. Mm -hmm. They'll add it faster than any other ETF. KWeb made a new all-time record high this summer. Um, all of the components, you know the names, Tencent, Alibaba, JD, go on down the list, are doing incredibly well. China's economy is recovering faster than ours from coronavirus. And when Ant Financial does come to market, I think hedge funds are going to want to be involved. And this is a way that U.S. investors can kind of get some exposure there. So I like it. 
All right, good stuff there, guys. Thanks for all, by the way, rolling with it and making up a game, playing a game I literally just made up before the segment. All right, the other big market story today, <laughs> the huge shakeup in the Dow. You had three stocks kicked out, three others brought in. The new names that will enter the Dow come Monday, Salesforce.com, Amgen, and Honeywell. Honeywell, by the way, rejoining the index after leaving in 2008. Now booted out, ExxonMobil. Pfizer and Raytheon. Exxon, by the way, the oldest member of the Dow. It's been in the index in one way or another, Standard Oil, ESO, since 1928. Now, we'll trade some of these names, but what might this, Stephanie, be saying about the broader market and maybe the broader economy? I don't think it means that much. I mean, I don't know any portfolio manager that it has the Dow Jones Industrial Average as their benchmark. Uh, most of us have a Russell of some sort or the S&P. That's what I have, the S&P 500. So I don't really think it's that material. And obviously, it's because Apple is splitting. And they need to probably find some technology companies to fill that void. So uh, Honeywell does have a technology component to it. That CEO has done an amazing job. Um, I think Raytheon over, over the years also will do the same. And of course, naturally, sales Salesforce.com uh, is, uh, is entering, and, and they're the largest SaaS cloud company in the planet. And the total addressable market is going to be a trillion dollars in this particular end market by the end of the decade. So they're a winner. They're a leader. They have amazing customers. They report tonight, so I'm a little worried that the stock is up and into it. But I like this company very much, and it would be something that I would actually add if you see a pullback. Yeah. Michael Farr, does it say anything to you, these Dow changes? Yeah, I mean, it's a reflection to me that it's a price-weighted index. And if you look at an Apple that's all of a sudden going to have a 25% lower price next week, they've got to kind of rebalance. If you look at a Raytheon that was a sort of in there instead of United Technologies, the price was a lot lower. That changed the weighting for industrials in that part of the sector. So this is a rebalance to try and keep things a little bit more current and where they thought they had been. In terms of the actual names, I, don't, I own Raytheon. I'm very happy with Raytheon. I continue to like those numbers as an industrial. Uh, Honeywell's a good company, too. But, so I don't think it's a huge endorsement of those companies so much as it is an endorsement of the Dow's weightings that they want to maintain, and they had to sort of shift like companies in order to do that. All right, good conversation there. Let's broaden it out and bring in another voice. Bring in Santiago Uloa. Founder and managing partner at We Family Offices. Santiago, good to chat with you again. Thanks for joining us here. You just heard our conversation, which outside of the K Web and Ant Financial largely was about domestic U.S. stocks. You are not a hater of the U.S. market, but you believe there may be better opportunities, particularly in Europe and Asia. Let's start with Europe. Where are you and your team finding value there? Well, in general, we think that, that Europe has been left behind in, in this process. No? And, and there is a big gap between what the U.S. market has been doing and what the European market has done. And the reality is after the, the big support that the European Union gave to the, to the countries in the South uh, through this uh, new bond uh, guaranteeing from everyone, the, the situation in Europe is better in general. There are many companies inside Europe uh, the, the, the depending very much on the internal demand, not so much about the external, about the exports, then they could do quite well. Okay, so is there anybody particularly in Europe or a country in Europe that you think has been left behind more that may present better value to our viewers and listeners? Well, in general, the countries in the South, they are suffering much more from the COVID. 
and, and from every team, but at the same time, the valuations are extremely, extremely cheap. You are talking about more about France, Italy, Spain, but the, the solid company, the solid country is, is clearly Germany. I would diversify. I wouldn't try to focus in one specific country. I would try to use some managers, the right managers, in order to diversify among the different countries. All right, Stephanie Link, I know you got a question there for Santiago. Yeah, Santiago, so I'm just curious, are you worried at all about the strength in the euro? Uh, as of late, we know it's up because, uh, against the dollar, by the way, uh, we know it's up because the economic data looks like it's getting a bit better, although now the viruses are actually getting a little bit worse. So I'm just curious about what you think a stronger euro would, would do for your investments in, in Europe. Well, it could affect very much the, the, the exporters, the main uh, European, uh, German companies, the car dealers, the, the car producers, etc. But in general, I think what we are seeing is, is more a, a weak dollar than a strong euro. So the, the, the dollar has been very, very strong for the last few years. And I think we are changing the cycle right now. And we will see a euro in much better, much better situation compared with where it has been in the last few years. So I'm not so worried about that. I think we are going to see the euro more or less at this level versus the dollar. And But the economy is, is uh, recovering faster mm -hmm. than the U.S. in this moment. Now, we've talked a lot about China. Josh just mentioned the K-Web, Santiago. Uh, you like Asia. Are there other parts of Asia that are better investments than China? Well, Japan is doing well. Uh, Southeast Asia uh, are, are performing better. They could really get some of the uh, of the sports than, uh, than, than the Chinese will not be doing. But really, where I'm focusing much more is in the domestic demand. I think in, in, in Asia in general, in China specifically, the demand is going to keep growing. They have been able really to manage quite well the COVID, and they are ahead of, of, of us in the recovery of the economy. I will I would clearly uh, put some money to work over there for the medium long term. Also in technology, they are doing extremely well, but I'm much more focused in the in the private market than in the really in the public market. All right, Santiago Loa of We Family Offices, a great global perspective there, Santiago. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Brian. All right, it is mystery chart time as we go to break. And everybody out there, take a good look at this before you make a guess. It's a consumer stock, probably a name you know. It's come back nearly 30% since March. The stock was upgraded today. And here's an RBI hint. The company was founded by two history professors and a writer, which may explain the name. Some folks around this virtual table own it. We'll debate it next in our call of the day. And as a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. Halftime Report is back right after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more.
Welcome back, everybody. I'm Sue Herrera. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. Ahead of Hurricane Laura's landfall, evacuations have been ordered for nearly 400,000 people along the Texas coast. Residents in parts of southwestern Louisiana are also being ordered to move to higher ground. Laura is expected to come ashore early Thursday as a Category 3 hurricane with sustained winds of 115 miles per hour. On the Gaza Strip, streets are empty as the government enforces a 48-hour virus lockdown. Health officials are concerned about how they will manage a major outbreak in an area with 2 million residents, but only 100 ventilators. And a jump into the history books. A parachutist has become the first to make a jump from a solar-powered plane. The aircraft is also notable because it is the only only the second two-seater solar plane that has ever been produced. Its maker wants to be the first to fly a solar plane up to the stratosphere, an altitude of 66,000 feet. You're up to date. And Brian, I could see you doing that. I really could. Not me, but you. I'd, I'd love to do it. I, I don't know if the plane could carry my weight, but we'd find out, I guess. That would be a quick way to learn how to parachute, I suspect. Yes, it Super. would. Sue, thank you very much. Good mm-hmm. to, quote, see you. All Good right. to see you. So, everybody out there, did you get the old mystery chart? Yeah, you did, I'm sure. It's Starbucks, which was founded by two teachers and a writer, which probably explained why it's named after a Moby Dick character. Anyway, Stiefel thinks it's a whale of a stock, pardon that, ups it to buy from hold. Michael Farr, you own it. Stock's up 4% today. What do you make of the call? Uh, I think it's a good call. I think the stock's recovering, and I think they're also recovering a great deal in China. They're seeing those numbers improve. If you want to play this economic recovery in China, you've seen that their numbers are recovering. Their economic data are improving, probably at a faster pace than the U.S. They got rid of the luck and coffee sort of competition, which has been a disaster. You know, it's growing at 15% a year, 14 15% a year on earnings with a 2.1% dividend. And it's, it's really not cheap at 27 times earnings, but with that sort of earnings growth, I like that call. It's still on the way up. Josh, you added more this week. I did. So, if, so um, for people who are watching in, in March, April, this was one of the names that um, I had been bidding on at, ex- at a absurdly low prices. I didn't even think I would get hit, but I did. I was able to buy Starbucks in the low 60s. So this is an average up. Um, I think the stock a year from now is like 100 bucks. Uh, if it actually is on the verge of a technical breakout, 82 and a half, uh, there's no real resistance past that up to 90. So I like it on both the short and long time frame. Don't think there's a lot of potential downside if I'm wrong. But what I think ends up happening is this becomes one of the better names in the category to own when a, a vaccine FDA approval is announced, whenever that is. And I say one of the better names because a lot of them have already recovered and then some. They don't even need a vaccine. The way McDonald's trades and Chipotle and Domino's Pizza, they have no need of a vaccine. Starbucks does. So many of their locations revolve around business travel, revolve around commuting. And none of those things are happening right now. So I think this one gives you that big vaccine approval pop. And the last thing I would say, which the Stiefel analyst points out, pumpkin spice is back. Okay, so Starbucks might have lost the commuter, the business commuter. That traffic doesn't go by their door anymore. But what they've gained is the event and destination drink. So people are sitting around. I get it. They're working from home. Yay. They're bored. 
going to Starbucks gives them something to do, and the fall lineup is going to be red hot, Sully. And I think that that's going to be a lift for the afternoon day part um, to offset what Starbucks has lost at breakfast time, where traffic is still down 30 percent from pre-pandemic levels. Yeah, sorry, but what he just said was important. First, I'm never drinking pumpkin spice. What, uh, never. It's not happening. <laughs> I'm, I, I hope people do because I own the stock. But he said something else very important there that this is he said he's doing an average up, which is one of those portfolio management things that continues to involve and require discipline. He bought it lower. He continues to like the fundamentals. He's adding to positions as he's trading these other things. Josh throws these things in on the sidelines like you, you might not hear it. Those are some of the most important things that he says because he's showing you the discipline with which he manages port his portfolios. Yeah. I just want to make sure viewers hear it when he says it. It's, a, it's important. We've Ma learned two Michael, things. Michael, pumpkin spice latte is on me. Investing. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Anybody who likes pumpkin, the other thing we learned is out of their gourd. And I had to say that. All right, that is not the only oh bullish call today. Come on now, I'm a dad. Rahel Solomon so is here with bad. several more bullish calls that we can dig into. Rahel, please rescue this Ryan, segment. Ryan, you are in rare form today, even for you. So, yes, we have a slew of bullish calls from retail to fast dining and everything in between. Here's a rapid-fire look. So NXP gets rated overweight at Wells Fargo. Sarepta named the top idea at J.P. Morgan, saying that the pullback in the stock makes the price really attractive right now. Cowan has an outperform rating for American Outdoor Brands and a street-high price target for Chipotle, $1,600 at Bernstein. So this is partly on margin recovery, partly on a return to positive comps, even in the midst of the pandemic. And it's 12.34, so let's stick with food now. Jack in the Box is initiated as a buy at Deutsche Bank. And turning to retail, Crocs is being upgraded to buy from neutral at B. Riley. MKM is upgrading L Brands to buy. So analysts here like the progress that Victoria's Secret has made on cost-cutting under the interim CEO. Also points out the strong performance of Bath & Body Works throughout the pandemic. We hear that so much. And one more for you, Brian, ahead of its report on Thursday. Gap is being upgraded to buy from Neutral at City. So analysts think that Athleta is undervalued. And it's one of the few athleisure names with both scale and room for growth. And Brian, I can totally see you being an athleisure guy. The, the yoga pants, it suits you. Am I allowed to say that? No, 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 they don't. No, they don't. They do. They, they do not. Uh, let me HR ask you, settle so. the debate before we go, Rahel. Pumpkin, pumpkin spice latte. Always. Yes or no? Always. It'll definitely get me in the door for sure. So there's Josh Brown's thesis, his theory there. Okay, there you go. 110 degrees. Let's go get a pumpkin spice latte. Rahel Solomon, thank you very much. All right. So Stephanie Link, Rahel laid it out very well. There's all these different bullish calls out there. The analysts, the sell side community appears to almost be tripping over themselves, not only to upgrade, raise price targets, but also justify valuations. Does that worry you at all? Some names do. I mean, I owned L Brands and it's up 68% on the year and we have no idea about the visibility of Victoria's Secret. I know that it was a little bit better quarter, but that's a pretty big move, and, and to chase that up here, I, I certainly wouldn't. The name I actually think is very interesting is NXP, and I really do like the story. I have owned it in the past, and I, you've heard me say that within the economy, auto is definitely starting to recover. Production's going to be down 22% this year in auto, but it's actually poised to recover 
to be up 23% next year. And you want to own companies that have exposure to that theme and that trend. And these guys, 42% um, of their total revenues come from auto. They have an 11% market share. They've got great products. They have pricing power. So their margins actually have some upside as well. And they also have a mobile business, which is 14% of total revenue. And that should benefit from uh, the mobile payments theme as well. But this stock could, could actually, this company could actually do something like $9 in earnings power. That puts it at 14 times. It's not expensive at all. Great management team. This is one I'm actually going to go look at and maybe buy. Yeah. And amazingly, L Brand's the best performer in the S&P 500 this quarter. You couldn't sell it fast enough a year ago. Not you, Steph, but I mean the, the market. And now, of course, what a turnaround that has been. All right. Speaking of another clothing retailer, Pete, you own Gap Calls. Why? I own, I own both. I actually own L Brands, which actually hit on Friday, Brian. And it's interesting because the stock was actually pushing up over 30. And meanwhile, they're buying the September 33 calls, about 35,000 of those calls. So somebody thinks there's a breakout in front of us over the next couple of weeks. And whenever I see something like that, well, it was a monster trade. The, the cost of the trade was a little bit less because the options were fairly inexpensive. Only two weeks out, they were about 50 cents. But I think the opportunity is there in case there is a breakout. To Steph's point, it has made a huge run. But oftentimes when we see stocks actually break through the 52-week highs, there's a little bit more room to run. I think in Gap stores, what you're seeing is something a little bit different, but they're buying. They just continue to buy upside calls, having a great move today. The calls are there moving very rapidly. That was an unusual option that we had last week. But we continue to see in certain areas of the economy where we're seeing the buyers and the haves and the have-nots. We talk about that all the time. And certainly when you look at L Brands and the performance that it's had, people are looking at that name and thinking, you know what? It's had a heck of a run. Maybe there's a little bit more. If there's a recovery on the Victoria's Secret side, there absolutely is more. So I think that's what people are playing off of right now. Incredible. The best performer by 40% in the S&P 500 this quarter. All right. Coming up, we'll call this a repeat. Go back to Pete's unusual activity in the options market. His latest trades are next. But first, a check on the S&P 500 sector heat map. Look at that. You got five up, six down. Dow's down 136. Technology is up fractionally as well. Almost a perfectly balanced market, actually. Maybe a little refreshing these days. Oil, by the way, up 1.5%. Hurricane Laura, she's big and she's tough. There's a lot of worries about oil production in the Gulf. We're back on halftime right after this. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, we're, welcome back. Shares of the Chinese electric car company NIO surging to a new all-time high today. And options bulls are betting on more near-term gains in the road ahead. Pete, what are you seeing with NIO? 
Yeah, well, it started, Brian, early part of August. We've actually hit four different times unusual option activity in here. Stock was trading in the 13s when it first hit. Now we're trading in the 15s. They're buying the 16 and a half calls. As a matter of fact, when I say they're buying these calls, they expire on Friday. But they bought 16,000 of these calls. So some pretty aggressive positioning to buy, to go into this position right now. Very inexpensive options, but they do expire Friday. We'd already had this last week, so we're seeing more of it. I already own the calls, added to them, and here we go. Firing it up to the upside to see if we've got a little bit more room. I got a second one for you, DraftKings. This is similar. This has been hitting time and time again, but very aggressively today. As a matter of fact, again, extremely short term, but they bought 12,000 of the 40 strike calls, Brian, at a very pretty aggressive 70 cents up to about $1.70. Stock was trading right below 39 at the time. This has been a stock that's been exploding to the upside. It's just in the process. It gets up and over 40. I think there's plenty of room to the upside for DraftKings. I'm in both these names. I already own stock, as a matter of fact, in DraftKings. All right, good stuff there, Pete. Thank you very much. All right, coming up, Ask Halftime is coming up next. We're back in two minutes. All right, welcome back. It is time now for the traders to answer your questions. All right, let's do it. First up for Stephanie. What is a better bank to own right now, Steph, Bank of America or Citigroup? Well, I own Bank of America, but I have owned Citi in the past. I think the execution is far better at Bank of America, even though the stock is more expensive at 12 times earnings, 0.9 times price to book. That compares to uh, 10 times earnings at Citigroup and 0.6 times price to book. So Citi is cheap, but I think cheap for a reason. I like the execution better um, and also the responsible growth strategy outlined by the CEO. All right. Next up, Joe in New Jersey asks, Pete, is Best Buy a buy, sell, or hold? I view it as a bit of a buy still, Brian. I understand the cautiousness that they put out there, but when you look at the digital growth, and I think that will continue for the next couple of quarters, yes, their margins might come in a little bit because of the fact they're going to be bringing back employees a little bit more as they reopen and continue to open up stores, and they alluded to that, but I think the digital sales are going to continue to be very strong. They might not be 240%, but I think they'll be very, very strong. It still trades relatively inexpensively. I view this pullback right now today as an opportunity. So I may be owning this stock before the end of the day. All right. For Michael Farr, Mark in Atlanta wants to know your position, if any, on Accenture. Uh Mark, uh, I like this company. I think it's a little bit pricey now. It's, of course, a, a big consulting company, professional services company in the tech and information tech communication space. Good company. You know, 8 to 10% earnings growth. I don't think it's cheap here, but I own it. I'm going to hold it. I'd buy it on a pullback, 1.3% dividend. The secret behind this company, in my opinion, is Julie Sweet. She's the CEO, one of the most remarkable leaders I've met at a Fortune 500 company. She is outstanding uh, and I think is the secret weapon at Accenture. All right, and Josh Brown. Kara in New York says, I'm looking for a stable stock with good dividends. Do you recommend either Verizon or AT&T? Uh, Verizon, I own it. It's about to break out of an all-time record high from back in December 2019. Pays a 4% yield you could set your watch by. 12 times earnings, um, indispensable business, broadband, cellular communications. We've learned this year we can't really live without any of them for even five minutes. I would close my eyes and buy the stock right now. 
All right, good stuff there on Ask Halftime, everybody. Thank you very much. Right on deck. Much more on the scary situation evolving in the Gulf of Mexico. Laura, now a hurricane gaining strength that could bring severe flooding as gasoline prices are on the rise as well. 40% of America's refining capacity is right in that storm's path. What the traders are saying about gasoline's next move when halftime returns. All right, welcome back. It is time now for Futures Outlook and Energy Futures. They are on the move today. Gasoline and crude futures both higher as Hurricane Laura prepares to make landfall in Texas and Louisiana either late Wednesday or early Thursday morning. And she is a big storm. For more on how traders are navigating it, let's bring in Bill Baruch of Blue Line Futures and Jeff Kilberg of KKM Financial. Bill, I'll start with you. Obviously, a very tough situation. A lot of concern about refinery outages, production coming offline. How do you trade it, if at all? Well, looking at the technicals here, there are two crucial technical facts you need to know. First, you had this pennant consolidation uh, since the beginning of June. So for the last two and a half months, this thing has consolidated very tight, and now it's broken out above there like a beach ball underwater. So it's paving the way higher. And number two, you need to see here that the managed money net long position is still at very low levels. There's room for longs to get longer here. So when it fell out in March... It was very expected to see this managed money position lower. But unlike crude oil, the longs have stayed on the sidelines. So there's room for them to nearly double their positions here. And then so I think it has gotten a little overdone here now. But a, a little pull, pullback should get you a buying opportunity. 145 could be in the cards. All right, Jeff Kilberg, your take. Well, looking at natural gas is really interesting, Sully. Not as affected by the storm, only about 5% of natural gas production is down there. But look at the Baker Hughes rig counts in natural gas. Only 69 rigs versus a year ago of 162 rigs. So as we go into the fall and the winter, demand will seasonally move higher. So in natural gas, it looks like the market is going to move much higher as well. So I agree with Bill on both of these commodities moving higher. We'll see, you know, uh, Chenier Energy uh, taking out its Sabine Pass, evacuating that. Some refineries offline, 82% of offshore production is now offline as well. Bill and Jeff, good to see you both. Thank you very much. All right, on deck, your final Tuesday trades. All right, time now for our trader moves. Josh Brown, you're making some other non-Apple moves in your portfolio. Uh, yeah, just cleaned up a bunch of stuff. Um, I, I came out of a couple of biotech ETFs, XBI and IBB. I had bought those on technical breakouts. Uh, those breakouts are no longer in progress, so I'm out. Um, got out of Slack, which is I managed to find one of the few tech stocks that wouldn't double this year. So essentially, I'm coming out of it where I got in uh, after a bunch of averaging down. So it was a it was a failed trade. Um, I'm tired of watching them lose a PR battle to Microsoft, and uh, maybe I'll revisit sometime in the future. But uh, got to make room for new stuff that I'm doing. All right, Pete, you sold some hotel stocks. Is that a sign of the end of the quote reopen trade, or you just got tired of owning them? 
Yeah, don't don't overread on that. I only owned it for a couple of months. I was selling calls against this position, and it made a little bit of a move to the upside. I was able to take in the premium of those calls, and I decided to just go to the sidelines and wait and see if there's another better opportunity coming in front of us. So I left that one on the side. So uh, the other one that I really liked that has absolutely exploded was Mosaic, and we had all kinds of option activity that put me in there. I decided to buy the stock instead. Had a huge run to the upside. I exited just because I think the move was very strong. I don't know if it's sustainable or not. And so I just figured, you know, for now, I'm going to step away and I'll see if there's another better opportunity coming forward. All right. So time now to go around the horn in our final trades. Uh, Pete, you're the last one in. First up, why don't you kick it off? Well, I got to tell you something. I don't think it's over for the housing stocks. I think they continue to climb to the upside. So Toll Brothers, I'm seeing some active call buying in there. I think the stock continues to go higher. Michael Farr. I'm going to be a contrarian. I like Raytheon. I mean, it's down like 30 bucks from its all-time high. Was it 90? Now it's 60. 10% uh, earnings growth, I think. A 3.1% dividend. It hit them where they ain't. This could mm -hmm. be sleepy for a while, but I like it. I like it. Counterintuitive uh, counter there. Stephanie? UPS, I've uh, pushed this for a while, but I still really believe that this stock goes higher, especially led by the new CEO, Carol Tomei, who comes from okay. Home Depot. She just crushed the quarter, last quarter, 600 um, basis points of margin upside, better than expected. So I think there's a yeah. lot of cost takeout she's going to do. I think there's a lot of operating leverage. And we know demand, at least B to C, is actually quite strong. We have to wait for business to business to come back, but that's your opportunity. All right, well, we're not going to find out what Josh Brown can do for us because we're out of time, but we'll do it soon again. That does it for us here on Halftime Report. I'll see you tomorrow. The exchange begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.